This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. My name's so-and-so. I've been here for two years already. You know, uh, these are my hobbies. This is what I like to do. And he's like, by the way, I own a bunch of properties here in Montgomery and I'm making a ton of money and I'm going to be able to retire early. And everybody's, everybody's just kind of like, okay, whatever. And I was like, what did that guy say? (laughs) This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill. And today... We're talking about investing in buy and hold real estate with cash. Some people choose to take out loans to buy their rental properties and others choose to pay cash. Today, we're going to explore why you might want to consider buying in cash and how to do it. I've invited someone on the show who owns 20 rental properties free and clear. No mortgage, no debt, and he doesn't owe a dime to anyone. Rich Carey is my guest today. He's married with two children and currently serves in the military. He has a passion for real estate investing and teaching others how to pursue financial independence. His story of investing success has been featured in Bigger Pockets, Market Watch, and Business Insider. Welcome to the show, Rich. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Andy. Awesome. So, Rich, let's start from the beginning. How did you get started with real estate? Well, let's see. I guess that's a, it's a long story, but, um, I got started. I mean, I was in the military and my first, uh, I was married, married when I came into the military in 2000, always had a passion for real estate, wanted to buy something. But unfortunately my first assignment was overseas. It was in Guam. And I don't know if that many people know where Guam is. It's actually a U.S. territory, but it's out in the middle of nowhere in the Pacific. And lots of hurricanes, or I guess they're called typhoons out there, and lots of earthquakes. Um, I didn't want to buy real estate oceanfront in a place that has, uh, you know, earthquakes and typhoons all the time. I actually had my apartment wiped out by a typhoon while I was there, so that was probably prophetic. So it wasn't until I moved back to the States in 2003 that I was able to finally buy a property, and that was in Alexandria, Virginia. And I, pay, I bought a townhouse with a mortgage. Um, you know, it was actually 10% down and then the, and then 10% was financed. Like the rest of the down payment was financed, which they did back then at 7%. And then the mortgage was, was at 5.5, which I thought was extremely low at the time, the, the, the interest rate, but I bought it for 280,000 thinking that it was way too expensive and probably going to be the worst mistake of my life. Of course that ended up not being true. So you bought that house as a place to live, not necessarily yeah. somewhere to rent out. Is that right? That's true, but of course, we're in the when you're in the military, uh, it's a place to live. But you're you're going to live there for you know maybe three years, more than likely. In my in in my career, it's more likely that I stayed somewhere one or two years. Okay, so you stayed how long? So you stayed in D.C. for what three years, and then you moved out out of abroad again at that point? Yeah, so I, I stayed in D.C. for two years, and then actually I moved to Monterey, California to attend, uh, I was still in the military, but I attended graduate school and language school. And then I moved 
and then I was there for three years, and then I moved to Japan for five years. Wow. Okay. So at that point, you rented the place in D.C. Uh, once you left, and you're, I'm assuming your wife and children are traveling with you as you're doing all of this. Is that right? Yeah, they've been. They've. Uh, we've been lucky enough where everywhere that I've been, you know, they've always been able to come with me. Uh, but yeah, they were with me the whole time, and and there were some other things I was trying to do as well. So I, on the first house I bought for two hundred eighty thousand, and I thought I paid too much, but about a year later it was worth four hundred thousand, and shortly after that it was worth four fifty. And I kind of thought to myself, like I must be a genius at this. And 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 by the way, this this is it's not true, but a beginner's mistake sometimes it's dangerous to have too much success right off the bat. I just got to keep doing this. Like I'll just keep buying houses and they'll keep, you know, if I can just every year get 150,000 in, in, you know, equity, uh, you know, I'll be a millionaire in no time. Um, that didn't necessarily work with the the bubble in the market that was about to happen because this was in uh, 2003 by 2005, I'm feeling very confident in my abilities and so I tried doing some other things, like I wanted to buy more real estate. I almost bought in Monterey, California, which would have been a huge mistake. And I even did something called I flipped new construction, hoping to make a big killing and ended up not really making any money at all. No. Okay. So you got into flipping and it kind of hit into the the bad time of the market. And that's something that sure. you decided was not the best investment. So Right. What happened at that point where you where you decided, hey, I'm going to stop flipping and maybe get into purchasing other uh, forms of real estate? So I guess uh, so. At this point, I'm renting the house out in D.C. and I've tried a couple different things. I tried flipping a house, and when the bubble hit, I didn't know it was the bubble at the time, but I just I realized that I didn't make as much money as people were making in the past, and I thought like, well, I guess I just picked the wrong neighborhood. But it turns out the bubble was bursting. Hmm. Um, and I kind of just, I was overseas and in, in Japan by this time. And I, I was the kind of person who I, th- I think in this community, I didn't know this community yet, but this, you know, fire community, this FI community, I was a big saver. I was frugal. I should say we, it was more my wife probably. And, uh, you know, we were investing conservatively. We were putting lots of money away Another thing I did that was kind of interesting from Japan was I um, I started flipping houses with a partner. Hmm. So my partner was actually in Alexandria, Virginia. He was he lived right across the street from where my where my townhouse was, which was still a rental for me. And we flipped houses together. I was putting up the money, and by money I mean I was taking out mortgages, and he was doing the legwork. And I did that. I flipped houses about eight times hmm. from from Japan, and that, of course, also fueled my ability to to put money aside that I was able to use later to purchase houses. Got it, got it. So you were able to get some cash from flipping, and this this whole managing from abroad thing kind of blows my mind. So, right, right. So right. How, how did you how did you manage that process? You're in Japan. You've got a, a you know a friend, a partner in DC, but. I guess, how do you feel confident enough to make those big investments like that when you're not physically there? Well, first of all, I mean, flipping, flipping houses with a partner when you're not even present, I'm not going to recommend that to anybody. <laughs> um, and I made money and there was a lot of trust. I mean, that, that's something that I'm going to talk about a lot probably today is the person that I flipped houses with, we had a lot of trust. I, I just knew from my personal relationship with him and watching him deal with other people and his reputation in the neighborhood and in the community 
that this is a trustworthy guy. Mm-hmm. So I knew that he, because he could have easily ripped me off yeah. by doctoring different documents and, you know, making up work that didn't happen and all kinds of things. Uh, but I did it, you know, I, I flipped houses with them and it was a way that I made some money as far as managing that one rental. And I think we're going to talk way more about managing rentals from afar later. Cause I haven't got gotten to my 20 yet, but managing that one rental as a military member living overseas, it just wasn't that hard. Um, I had the neighbor that lived across the street who was my, you know, real estate agent slash investor slash, you know, partner slash friend. And I knew the AC guy, I knew the plumber. Like I just kind of had a handful of people that I just knew I needed to call when I, you know, when something went wrong and the people that I rented to were always in the military. And really the whole time that I owned that house and I owned it from 03 to 16, it just really wasn't that hard to manage it myself. I mean, you can manage one property yourself uh, in, in certain situations. And again, you have to also understand that I was, I bought a property that I guess would be considered upper middle class neighborhood. You have less problems with tenants. Certainly some people invest in neighborhoods. If you're buying a house for $40,000 and, and then you know renting it out for 800 a month, you're dealing with a different problem set. And that may require heavier management skills <laughs> that would be hard to do from Japan. So this one that you had for thir- oh, 13 years, it sounds like, yeah. less maintenance, middle, you know, upper, upper middle class neighborhood was yep. a little bit easier. So l- let's talk about as you, when you made that decision from, hey, flipping properties is a good deal to, hey, I want to do buy and hold rental. When did you decide that switch? When did that happen? Well, you know, never really had a, I never really had a, uh, by this point I hadn't found any of these podcasts. I hadn't found <laughs> bigger pockets or I hadn't found this community. I hadn't found the right books yet. I was just trying things and seeing if they worked. And, um, so at one point in my career, I kind of always felt like, you know, I have this rental property, but I don't feel like I'm making that much money. And it seems like I should be making more money. And it just doesn't really seem like I'm getting ahead. Like I'm, I, think, I think I'm just paying the mortgage and not really doing anything else. So I uh, moved to Montgomery, Alabama for an assignment in 2013. And at that point, I ran into another military member on the first day of, I guess, our, you know, our new training there. And he introduced himself like to the whole class. And he's just like, hey, my name's so-and-so. And I'm, you know... And unlike me, I had just moved to Montgomery. He'd already been there for two years. My name's so-and-so. I've been here for two years already. You know, uh, these are my hobbies. This is what I like to do. And he's like, by the way, I own a bunch of properties here in Montgomery, and I'm making a ton of money, and I'm going to be able to retire early. And everybody's everybody's just kind of like, okay, whatever. And I was like, what did that guy say? <laughs> and I, I was just like, what did that guy just say? Because, I, I, you know, I'm thinking like, What? And, um, on the break, I made a beeline for him and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, tell me about this. How much do these houses cost? How does property management work? Like, you know, do you have a real estate agent? I mean, have you figured this all out? What's, what's, you know, where's your contractors? How are you getting the money for it? And he explained everything to me. And I realized quickly that he was making a lot more money, a lot more return on investment than I was in DC a lot more money. And I was like, okay, can you show me how to do this? Cause I want to do the same thing you're doing. And essentially that's what I did. 
uh, I went from having no properties and having very little experience with real estate to I bought six properties in the 10 months that I was there. And because of the financial situation that I was in, uh, saving, investing, flipping houses, being frugal, I was able to pay cash for those houses. Now, those houses costed me between 25000 and 45000 each. Now, you got to consider, when I was flipping houses in D.C., I was spending more than double that just on the down payment for the flips that I was doing. So to me, this was like, wow, these houses are so cheap. So I, I mean, I, I imagine I'm, you know, you, people wonder, well, why, why, why you decide to pay cash for these houses? At this price point, to me, it almost seems silly to try to get a mortgage for thirty thousand or forty thousand dollars. And actually, out of these six houses I bought, I actually did get a mortgage on one of them. Uh, even though I didn't, even though I had the money, I'm like, well, I'm going to see if I can get a mortgage on it. It was actually very hard. I had to go to about six different banks and there were lots of, the fees were just as high as if the, the, you know, the, um, the house would have costed $500,000. Like there were still tons of fees involved. And, uh, after I got the loan a couple months later, I'm like, this is stupid. And I just paid the loan off. Right. And so that, that's kind of how we get into my story of uh, Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah, well, talk to me about this house, because you're talking $25,000 to $40,000 homes. Yeah. Are these falling apart? What do these look right. like? I, I just want to give the reality for people who are listening. Yeah, it's important to understand. Uh, oh, for, for one thing, I talked about earlier how it's kind of so easy, right? So easy to manage my property in D.C. There's a trade-off there. Yeah, it's easy to manage. Yeah, I don't have problems with tenants and things aren't breaking, but I'm really not making any money. If you go to DC right now and you buy a townhouse and then you move away in two years and you rent it out, you're going to lose money. You're not just you're not just going to have trouble covering your rent. You're going to lose money. Well, I, I happen to buy at the right time. I got lucky with appreciation. I was making a little money, but not very much. Uh, it's just the way that, 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 that real estate works. Now, in, in Montgomery, Alabama, I am buying, I'd say, blue-collar, working-class neighborhood. Now, I will be clear that you can buy in a lot worse neighborhoods in Montgomery, Alabama, where uh, you're dealing with Section 8, which is like you know, government-subsidized housing. You're dealing with high crime. You know, you're dealing with uh, lots of serious problems like break-ins all the time. And I wasn't in those neighborhoods. Those are the houses that are houses that cost fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand said and done. Uh, the house that I bought first, I believe, was twenty-five thousand, but it was really run down, and I put fifteen thousand into it, uh, and uh, it's the cheapest house I ever bought here. But I'd say that I'm in kind of this. The schools aren't great in the neighborhood that I, the neighborhoods that I buy in, but the houses are, you know, always like freshly painted, always like everything's and the house is totally fixed. The yards look nice. The neighborhoods aren't scary, but by no means is this like a gated community, you know, with pools and, and schools that are, you know, 10 tens that everyone wants to send their kids to. And I'll also caveat that by saying when I moved to Montgomery, Alabama, I think a lot of people assume that I, I have 20 properties and I'm renting the military. I'm not. The house that I want to live in as a military member that is, I guess, new enough and in a nice neighborhood and in a good school district, if you buy those houses and then rent them out, they don't make any money as rental properties because the neighborhoods are too nice, to be quite honest. So I'm, I, I rent where I live right now, 
and a f- and I buy a few miles away in a lot more of a working class neighborhood. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So you started with the six, and I guess how do you how do you manage six right away? I mean that that kind of sounds overwhelming to me. We're like, okay, I bought this yeah. one, bought this one, but you seem to all buy them at once. How did you manage fixing them up while having a job while being married with two kids? Like, talk to me about that a little bit. Right. So. Um, <laughs> I think the, the way to start that is the start talking about that is I bought these houses with the future in mind. And and what I meant by that is I knew I was gonna move. I didn't know if I was going overseas or or you know, maybe just to DC or or a few states over, but I knew I was gonna move in a few months. I was only there for ten months. It was just for a school year. So right away I gave the first house to a management company because I wanted to start working with that management company and working out the kinks in our relationship and making sure that everything was uh, kind of set and ready to go for when I moved away. So every time I was buying a property, I was working closely with a local property manager that was introduced to me by the person that I met on that first day. It was the one that he was using too. And they were key in many, many things for me. They were key in helping me buy in the right neighborhood, making sure that the, these are like these are floor plans and 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 parts of the neighborhood that people like to rent. Make sure that I was buying the right kind of house. You know, like don't buy three bedroom one bath, buy three bedroom two bath because those are way better, easier to rent out, or four bedroom two bath. They were deeply involved in everything that I did, and also at the beginning. I bought houses that needed lots of work, and I was supervising all of the work, even though I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But they were recommending contractors to me, and they were introducing me to the right people, and they were sort of giving me this real estate education. So that's kind of how that all worked. And then I was in a school, and when I first got to this military school, I I had this idea that I was going to be like one of the top students and graduate with honors and, you know, go on to be a general someday. But once I took on this like massive uh, construction or not construction, but like real estate sort of uh, these real estate projects, I sort of pulled away from that quickly. And to be quite honest, I did the bare minimum in school, in the military school and spent all of my spare time on real estate. (laughs) I see. So at that point you have these six and then you get another assignment to go where at that point? It was Stuttgart, Germany. Okay. Okay. And I wasn't expecting that, but that's really cool. I get to go overseas and and be in Europe. And I'd spent a lot of my career in Asia. So so Europe was something very, very new for me. But yeah, I went to um I went to Stuttgart, Germany. And what's important, what was very important for me was that I wanted to keep buying houses. But the hard part is you can't really make money if you buy houses that are move-in ready because they're expensive. So I needed to buy houses that needed a lot of work and then get the work done and then give them to my management company. And I needed to do that without being there. (laughs) So like, that's really hard. So what did I do? I actually made a deal with my management company that they were going to be the ones that managed my rehabs when I bought a new property. And I told them, I said, they saw how fast I bought six and they were impressed and they liked working with me. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to buy a lot more but I need your help if I'm going to do this. You're, you know, I'm going to need you to manage these big rehabs when I buy these and then I'll hand them over to you and then they will be, you know, a source of income for you and me. And they were reluctant at first, but they said, well, let's try it once. And it worked out well for all of us. 
And I ended up going from six properties to 20 properties while living in Germany and then after that uh, in Korea. Wow. Okay. So we, we were talking about, I think, a couple minutes ago about trust. How did yeah. you find this company? What was the process you went about to, to, to find this company that you trusted so much to go about this? Did you meet with a bunch of different companies? Was it just luck? How did that all work out? <laughs> I probably, you know, it's funny that you asked the question that way because I don't think anyone's ever asked that before. But, um, and, that, and this is important, and I'm, I'm sure I could have done this better. And I even think I've written about this on my blog in, in a way where you, you probably should spend more time vetting. But if you remember, I spoke earlier about the uh, military member that introduced me to this whole process. Well, he already knew this management company. And they were kind of like friends and they were already managing his properties and he was getting ready to move away same time as me. And it's, it was like a husband and wife couple and, you know, they're, I'd met them and they, they seemed very nice. They, they owned a lot of real estate themselves, several hundred houses in the area. And, um, I think that because I had that 10 months of working closely with them, on small issues like, you know, Hey, I'm trying to find the cheapest place to buy blinds. Like, Oh, you know, or Hey, I'm, should I buy like a new fridge or a used one? And they'd kind of give me my options. And when, and problems came up with the property while I was there, the, the, the management company would call me and they'd talk to me in detail about different options. Like, you know, kind of like, well, you could do this to fix it, but that would cost more you could do this and it'd be cheaper, but like here are the risks with doing it, you know, with doing it cheaper. I realized very quickly that they were very concerned about saving me money and that they were very, um, in the weeds about small amounts of money, which surprised me. And I mean, I just got the sense that these were really, really good people that I could trust. And I, you know, and I worked closely with them over that 10 months. And so I realized Kind of like, I guess, my intuition, right, about about my partner that I flipped houses with. I don't think these people are going to rip me off. I think that we will benefit from working together. So I'm going to put some trust in them, and I'm going to use them while I'm overseas. We'll be back to the show in a moment after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. 
Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for taking time to consider our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into the show. Houses now, yeah. What kind of income are you bringing in from those properties? I think if we want to uh, to try to make it simple for everybody, let's say on average I paid forty thousand per property, right? And then I would say on average it rents out for uh, nine hundred a month now. And then I would consider that about half of that, four hundred and fifty is what I keep as profit as, you know, as just pure income and the rest all gets eaten up by expenses. So 450 times 20, I think would be, this varies a lot. I mean, Mm -hmm. every month is different. I have really fat months and I have lean months, you know, where I, I do huge rehab on a house or something, but on average, that's how it works. Another thing I want to clarify, 9,000 bucks a month, something like that. Yep, About 9,000 bucks a month. And and that's a typical rule. You said that 50%, that's, that's a rule in real estate, right? It is. Can you talk about the 50% rule so people can understand that? I don't even know if that's what it's called. (laughs) It is. The 50% rule I think is very important, uh, because I think a lot of times, and the reason I think this is important is because a lot of times when people buy a house in the military, or even if you just have, you know, you're not in the military and you just are somebody that had to relocate for your job, people will buy houses, then they'll move away, they'll go somewhere else, and they'll rent their house out. And then they'll tell people, like, it's, don't worry, I'm making money on this house. I'm actually making $100 a month, right? And they're saying that because their rent is 100 more than their mortgage, but that is not true. I mean, you are not making $100 a month if your rent is $100 more than your mortgage. And that and the 50% rule is a way of illustrating that. If you're renting a you know, if if you're renting a property out and it is bringing in $1000 a month, all the expenses that go into you know, taking care of that property will eat up approximately half, 50% of your rent. And people don't realize that. And you have to consider that even when you pull out the people that have mortgages and then on top of that still want to make an income, you've got to take that mortgage out and that 50% out and then see how much of an income you're actually making. And that's actually very hard to do. Um, these I think are things a lot like of repairs, these are yeah. things like taxes and insurance. Even if you don't have a mortgage, you still got to pay the tax and insurance, things like that, right? HOA. Yep. 
I think a lot of times you, you need to put money away, you know, uh, it's called capital expenditures, but like in the future, you need to replace all the windows or you need to replace the roof or you need to replace the entire AC and heater system. These are things that cost tens of thousands of dollars when they pop up. You kind of have to account for that as you go or else, you know, you're going to find yourself way, way, way behind when one of these expenses hits you. And it can just, you can be very unlucky. You can buy a house, have it for a year and then end up repairing the roof, right? For like $10,000. And maybe the next year you end up replacing the AC system for, for $8,000. So it isn't an easy business and uh, you've got to think about these expenses. And of course we're going to, you know, we'll probably get to talking about why buying cash. Uh, you know, you can, you can make a lot of money using mortgages to buy real estate. And actually you can make, you can make more money using mortgages to buy real estate, but there's a lot more risk when, when you have things like this pop up and if you have 20 properties and they're all mortgaged and you barely squeeze out any extra money out of all of them, when one or two have a problem that can really spiral out of control for you. Absolutely. So with this, I mean, awesome (laughs) kudos, by the way, 9,000 bucks a month on top of the money you're making probably from the military as well. You're still working, right? Yeah, I'm still working. That's incredible. That's incredible. It's giving you and your family so much financial freedom that uh, that's really inspiring. Thank you for sharing that and being open with us. Uh, Do you also invest in the stock market as well? Is this, are you sole under real estate? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I think, uh, one thing I wanted to point out to everybody, obviously I paid cash for all these houses and people are just kind of like, where did he get the cash? Like, is, is he a drug Lord or something? Or is he, is he a trust, is he a trust fund baby? Um, you know, my wife didn't work and I, and I was an, I'm an officer in the military. So a, you know, my salary is, I would say decent. I, I like the military and, and the salary is decent, but by no means is it, um, you know, an engineer or a doctor's salary. Uh, but I always saved, invested, lived frugally. And I always put, I maxed out my IRAs ever since 1999 for me and my wife. We have something like a 401k. It's called a TSP in the military. I've been maxing that out for a long time. Right now, you know, I think the max for that is nineteen thousand a year, uh, and I'm maxing that out. Um, and th- and those are all in mutual funds. And uh, until I started buying houses in 2013, I was putting all the extra money I had just under the S and P 500 index fund in a normal brokerage account. So very just kind of basic index fund investing was my strategy. I'm certainly not a, you know, Motley Fool, let's pick, you know, Jim Cramer, let's pick the right stocks and, you know, let's, let's day trade. I don't believe in any of that stuff. I, I believe in the, the, the tried and true investing, but I did fall in love with real estate. I did pretty much liquidate all of my, um, stocks and mutual funds outside of retirement accounts and use that to pay cash for houses, uh, which is an unusual thing to do, I will admit. Yeah. So, but a part of you, let's get to that a little bit. You, a part of you saving all that money came from flipping these homes, uh, living frugally, and then a part of what we hadn't talked about is eliminating your debt, your your consumer debt as well. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. So the talk about how you live frugally because I think you're maybe a part of this fifty percent world that we've heard about as well. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so. 
I think that for me, this was probably early on in my marriage. Uh, this was more my wife than me. You know, when my wife met, met me and we weren't engaged yet, she asked me how much student debt I had. And I got very upset. And I'm like, well, that's like none of your business. <laughs> and, and, and then she says, no, tell me, you know, and, and, uh, and, I, and I said, I don't know. And she goes, well, you better get on the phone and figure it out. <laughs> So I had 32,000 in student debt. I, and I was like, oh, that was like more than I expected. You know, I just thought I was, you know, borrowing money here and there. And she actually started crying when I told her that. And, and, and by the way, we're not even engaged yet at this point. So we get engaged a little bit later and she tells me like, we got to knock this out right now. Like, we got to get rid. And I'm like, well, we could just take our time and pay it off. And she's like, no, we paid off. She took a second and a third job and I took extra work. Uh, I actually worked at Fidelity Investments as a, as a stockbroker while I was in college. Um, we paid off our my student debt in, in a year and a half. Wow! So, and then when I bought that first um, when I bought that first mortgage, my wife told me that she wanted to pay it off quickly, and I'm like, "Well, that's a dumb idea. Why would you pay off a mortgage quickly?" And then I read the Dave Ramsey book, Total uh, Money Makeover, and I was like, "I'm doing awesome!" Like. I've done all these baby steps already. And I'm like, wait, what is this one? It says pay your mortgage off. It says pay, and I'm like, well, I haven't done that yet, but that seems like a great idea. And so I, I told my wife, like, I've got this great idea. We're going to pay our mortgage off. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. Like, that's, what I, that's what I said a long time ago. So, so anyway, we, we, once, we got on, once I got on board, uh, we knocked that mortgage out in uh, about seven, seven and a half years. While I was in Japan, we paid that off. Um, of course that frees up now that it's a rental property, that money is just going into, you know, that money's just going into, uh, mutual funds and, and it's, and about, and it was growing at the time. Um, and that was money that was, uh, I was able to use to flip houses and able to use to, to pay cash for properties later. That's incredible. I, I'm glad we went through this because when you hear, hey, this guy's got 20 rentals and they're free and clear, he must be, you know, he must be, you know, independently wealthy. This happens over a long period of time. It's a lifestyle yeah. change, everybody. I mean, right. this is a, yeah. this is, this, these are the small things. And I'm so glad to hear your perspective of your wife because this is a combined effort uh, when it, it happens at home. So that's very cool. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, we're talking about how people can save up for their first rental property, if they really inspired here and say, hey, I would like to do that with cash. You know, everybody has different start uh, starting points, but if somebody were to, were to buy, hey, let's call the $40,000 house in Montgomery, Alabama, and they're just getting started now, what are some of the things that they could do to get ready to buy their first home in cash? You know, uh, you interviewed uh, Scott, right? Scott Rickens. Yes, I did, recently, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he... He kind of went through this change in his life where he left San Diego, right? And living in an expensive home with high rents and a high cost of living area and kind of moving somewhere else where he could be live more frugally and, and, and life could, could be more meaningful. Um, I, I think that's part of it. I mean, obviously, if, if you're planning on paying cash for a house in Silicon Valley, you know, and, and you don't have any money right now, it's going to take you a little bit of time to save that money up. Um, you have to, what I'm saying is that there is a lifestyle change involved. If the reason you don't have any money is that you're in debt and that you have a nice car and that you have a Harley and that you have a jet ski and that you're always getting the new iPhone every year, uh, then there's gotta be, there's going to be some things that you change in your life, you know? And I think changing 
how much your car costs, changing how much it costs where you live, changing what you spend on travel. These are some of the biggest costs that you got to think about first. Trim those way back and start putting that money away um, and just start putting it away. And if you've got debt, you've got to pay it off. And I think everybody here saw how I did it. Um, I, I don't think anybody here now hearing the story thinks that this isn't a story where I, you know, w- was heavily in debt. And then a year later, I own 20 properties free and clear. That doesn't happen in real life. And, and if it does happen in real life, those people go on to sell, to sell some sort of a course. And that course is usually BS. Um, so, you know, there isn't, a, I guess my point is there isn't an easy answer. The, the answer is get rid of your debt trim your obligations, you know, uh, you need to find ways to make more money. I flipped houses. My, my wife took extra jobs so that we could pay off my debt and find a way to save a lot more money and just make it happen. It's good to hear that because it's a lot of the things that we know, right? It's, it's just it like is. diet and exercise, where it's like, how do I it lose is. weight? Diet and exercise, <laughs> right? Or eating, eat, eating less sugar, things like that. I, I read your post about your, your recent diet that you're <laughs> oh, working on. Oh, thank you. On, so. Yeah. Oh, somebody read that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's the same thing, right? A lot yeah. of these things we hear, it's like, okay, how do I save more money? Uh, spend less, uh, and you know, or, or or just move it towards things that you care about more, so that you can move towards a life that inspires you. And if this story inspires you, then this is a great opportunity to do that. Okay, let's say somebody has saved a little bit of money and they're ready to buy their first property. How do they find a good deal? I mean, we don't have to go into all the details, but what are the things that you're looking for when you're looking for a property? Well, first, I want to I want to caveat what you said about cash first and then move into this question. So about cash, about buying a house in cash, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's great peace of mind that I own all my properties, uh, uh, you know, free and clear, but I think it's totally responsible to put 20% down to buy a property and, and for yourself or as an investment. And as long as you kind of wait until that property stabilized, you can see that it's making money. You can see that you've got good management in place. You, you, you've had everything in, in, you know, in place for a while and it looks good. And then you had like another 20% and you were ready to buy a second property. Um, I think that's smart. So I think that being, uh, being debt-free is pretty cool. I think it's great for me being close to retirement. But that doesn't – not everybody has to run out and pay cash for a house. So on to the next question, finding a deal. Um, If you want to get started, first of all, I've always used real estate agents. And just like I spent a lot of time finding the right property manager, you want to find a way to find the best real estate agent. It is worth doing. The real estate agents that are making the most money, to be quite honest, the the real estate agents that, you know, they're getting, they've won awards for doing the most volume. They, they have a great reputation. You, you, you ask around, you check online, you, um, you know, you use all the online tools that you can, uh, get referrals from different places, but you want a very good agent to help you buy, to help you find a house. And it's worth the money if they're a good agent. The other thing I'll say about agents too, and this is true in everything that I've done in real estate is, once you start working with an agent, if they are not doing everything you want them to do and being like awesome about it, you need to tell them. And then if they're not 
fixing it, you need to fire them. And I mean, you know, they're not really getting a salary from you, but you need to say, look, I'm going to use somebody else. Like, I'm sorry. You just got to, I mean, I know it's hard for some people to do, but you're going to pay them a fortune when you buy that house, right? 6% or, you know, 3% to to them and 3% to the other agent. Make sure that you are getting exactly what you expect, a high level of support and a high level of, uh, you know, uh, answer, getting questions answered, getting emails answered and uh, responsiveness. But I would say use, uh, an agent. That's a big part of it. And if you're talking about investing in real estate, then there's a lot more to learn. There's the 1% rule. You're going to want to read up on real estate. I like to always say, I won't buy a property even to live in unless I know that that property will make a good rental when I move away. Hmm. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good bar for buying any piece of real estate. That makes a lot of sense. So you you said, you said close to retirement. I'm looking at you on this video right now. You look like a pretty young man. So what do you mean close to retirement? What you got 20 houses now and you're in the, you're in the military. I understand that. What are your plans for the next five to 10 years? It sounds like retirement's in there. Yeah. So when you're in the mil- when you're in the US military the earliest you can retire with a normal retirement is at the 20 year point. Now of course most people don't really call that a retirement. I mean there are some people that retire from the military at 37 or 38 years old. And then you get this pension, you know, and it's a it's a decent pension but m- with most people's obligations they can't retire on that. So they go back to work the next day. Um but of course, in my case, because of the way that I've saved and invested in and in, in what I've done in real estate, for me, it truly is a retirement. I mean, I'm already financially independent without my military paycheck right now. Um, and my military paycheck is just a big bonus that I have every month. Or you could think of it that way, or you could, or you could think of the houses as being a bonus. But I only need one of those incomes. And uh, when I retire, that military paycheck gets cut in about half, but I get that for the rest of my life with uh, cost of living increases. But I am retiring on August 1st of 2020. That'll be the 20-year point for me. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. That is awesome. And how old will you be on August in 2020? I'll be 46 years old. That is incredible. Retiring at 46 years old and with quite a bit of you know income to support yourself. So you said people jump into another gig or another career. What's going to inspire you for the next 40 years of your life? You know, it's, I've always been, uh, you know, I've had this, I had this like little blog that I'm, that I'm been working on and I write articles and I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, do some videos and do stuff that'll help uh, military members figure things out in the way that I have, maybe something that would propel them and even, even help them do things faster than I did. If, if they had this idea that maybe they would want to retire for real at the 20 year point or become financially independent, maybe even before they, they retire. Um, but I, but with as busy as my career has been, uh, I just haven't spent the time on that blog that I wanted to. And to be quite honest, uh, the real estate that I did, did not take a lot of time. Once I left, I, I did it all by, you know, Skype, like we're doing right now and email and, uh, DocuSign and it was all very, very easy. Um, but there's a lot of other things in real estate that I want to do. I do want to use loans in the future. I do want to purchase multifamily. It's not so much that I want to make a lot more money. It's just that I want to, I want to further my, 
my uh, real estate education. I, I want to, you know, move up to different steps and try different things. I want to try Airbnb. Everybody's doing stuff with Airbnb these days. <laughs> I want to do something with Airbnb. Um, so I'm assuming that the blog, uh, and continuing to educate people and investing in real estate will take up all my time. And it's also things that you're really passionate about. We talked at the top of the show, you're really into real estate investing and you're really into giving back to a, a community that's given you so much as well. So talk, talking about the community, was there a book or a blog or a podcast or anything that really inspired you along the way to keep investing in real estate? Well, there, well, there absolutely was. I mean, I didn't know that blogs existed. I didn't know that there was a community like this. I know I saw you at FinCon a few weeks ago. I didn't know that things like FinCon existed or that like-minded people got together and talked about financial independence and money and, 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 and how to live a great life. I was goofing around on the internet. I can't remember when exactly, I mean, about three or four years ago you know, typing in different search terms. And I think I was trying to look up something on stocks and I ran across Jim Collins blog, JL Collins NH. He has a stock series. Uh, he has a book now called the simple path to wealth, but he, ta- he has, I mean, I think of him as the godfather of, of FI. Um, I loved his blog. He, he talked about his approach to money, his approach to life, you know, and I'm like, who is this guy? And like, and, and is there anything else like this out there? <laughs> Absolutely loved it. Did a, did a quick search and I found Paula Pant and afford anything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she is so cool. Like, I, I love her message. These are the people that inspired me. I'm also proud to say that I'm friends with these people now. So I, I, I feel like I've come a long way and, but they truly inspired me, uh, to dive into this community. And also I, I think I realized the second I saw these blogs, I was kind of like, well, shouldn't I just do this? Like, shouldn't I talk about what I'm doing with real estate and just like have a blog and let people read it. And so that's exactly what, what I did as well. That's incredible. I am a big fan of simple path to wealth and Jim Collins, and I'm happy to call Paula a friend as well because of this community. And right. I love what she's doing. She's got an incredible podcast as well as a great blog. So everybody check out those resources to get inspired as well. Another great resource we want to talk about though, is you, where can people find you learn a little bit more, dive into some of your material? Yeah, just go to uh, my blog. It's called rich on money. So it's richonmoney.com and, uh, you know, read up. I mean, I have a, there's like a real estate tab and you can kind of read my real estate stuff. And then there's like an investing tab and you can kind of read my investing stuff. It really started off as a pure real estate blog, but I, I found so many people that, um, were sort of like still financially in a mess, but wanted to invest in real estate. And so I really fi- found that it was important to talk a lot about, well, this is how you get yourself in a, to a financial position of strength so you can invest in real estate, which again, I think is di- a different message than you'll get from, from like Bigger Pockets podcast or several other gurus. I think a lot of times some people try to give that message of you could use real estate to get yourself out of a financial mess. And I wouldn't really go there. I think I would use traditional methods to sort of fix your debt problem. And, and to fix your financial problems and to sort of make sure that you have retirement accounts and you don't raid those retirement accounts to try to, you know, do some crazy uh, real estate venture that you're not ready for yet. 
But to do things in a safe and conservative and thoughtful way, and I think of real estate investing as a more uh, advanced uh, investing technique than just, you know, investing in mutual funds. I like that. Prepare yourself financially for the bigger investment of real estate so that you can be successful. So, Rich, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And thanks for educating us on your awesome story. Appreciate it. Oh, Andy, thanks so much. This is awesome. Retiring very comfortably at 46 years old. That is incredible. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Rich Carey. Number one, save, ditch debt, and be patient. If you want to buy real estate in cash or even just save for a 20% down payment, you need to analyze how you're currently spending your money. Are there areas you can trim back or debts you can eliminate? Also, this process is not an overnight thing. Be patient and potentially be ready for a lifestyle change. This is going to take time, but according to Rich, it's well worth it. Number two, find a great real estate agent. You do not need to do this real estate thing alone. Find a partner you can trust and one that knows how to find the properties you're looking for. Also, as Rich said, If they're not working out, there's no problem with working with somebody else. Number three, partner with a property manager you can trust. If you want to own rentals, but you don't want to manage them, don't. (laughs) Find a great partner you can trust. Rich mentioned he received great recommendations and then spent time with his future partners before going abroad. This whole vetting process can be huge when you're talking about really big investments. Rich, thank you so much for connecting today and sharing your incredible story of real estate success. And I wish you the best of luck with your last year of military service. Thank you so much for your service for our country and inspiring us today with real estate. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I would like to ask you to do one really, really important thing that's going to help me out a lot. In order for me to better serve you, I need some feedback, my friends. I am doing an annual survey that will help me understand more about you and your goals. This will help me be a better podcast host, write better content, and then just do a better job. You know what I mean? <laughs> please, please, please go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash survey. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash survey. I have around 80 responses so far, and I'm so pleased with that. If I could get this thing over 100, man, that's going to give me a good example of who's listening and how I can serve you better. It doesn't take longer than five to 10 minutes. I've timed it. I went through it personally. And for your participation, I'm giving away a $50 Amazon gift card, randomly chosen based on the respondents. So fill out this survey by Friday, November 1st, 2019, to be included in this year's opportunity. If you happen to hear this after November 1st and you still want to support me by providing your information and giving me feedback on the show, I would really appreciate it. Just wouldn't have the opportunity for the gift card this year, but 
but I'll probably be doing it again next year. <laughs> Thank you so much for considering this, my friends. Again, that's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash survey. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from John Stuart Mill. Landlords grow rich in their sleep without working, risking, or economizing. Here's defining your first or 20th rental property, my friends. Carpe diem. 